What is going on, everybody? Jordy Cannell here. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of the Bullpen Card Podcast, presented by Thunderblogsports.com. It is just myself, a solo podcast, talking baseball. We are talking everything to do with the foreign substance problems in Major League Baseball right now. We then jump into my surprises, both good and bad. The Phillies' late-inning heroics and failures, we get into that. My trip to minor league baseball in the South. We then jump over into some other sports. The college football playoff may be expanding. We talk a little Tiger Woods and a little TV talk. It was a lot of fun to record. Cannot wait to hear what you think. As always, though, subscribe to the podcast, The Bullpen Card, on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Mash that subscribe button. ThunderBLG is the handle on Twitter. Thunderbox Sports on Instagram and Facebook. But enjoy the episode. Have a great weekend. And here we go. Welcome to this week's episode of the Bullpen Card Podcast, presented by Thunderblogsports.com, the namesake of the Bullpen Card Podcast feed. I, of course, am the G-Man, Jordy Cannell, a solo podcast tonight. Just me talking baseball. It's been about a month since the last time we did an MLB update. I tried to get a couple co-hosts, excuse me, but that fell through. So just a solo show. We got a bunch to talk about, not just baseball, but that's obviously going to be the main part of it. But we're going to talk baseball and the menu, the rundown, whatever you want to call it for this. We're going to talk about the the foreign substance problem. If you've paid any attention to baseball, you've heard this probably ad nauseum, but I want to just throw out a couple things about it. Going to talk some more of the light stuff, what I've been enjoying, what I've thought is surprising, but positive and negative. Talk about the Phillies. They've had back-to-back walk-off wins. I'm pumped about it, kind of. We'll get to it. Talk about mine and Emily's trip to Asheville, specifically to the Asheville Tourists. Single-A baseball did not disappoint. We will get to that in a little bit. Then, once we get out of baseball, we're going to talk about the rumors of the college football playoff expansion. Tiger Woods, potentially on the U.S. Open TV, even though he declined. We're going to talk about it. And then some TV talk at the end. But let's jump into it. Baseball's foreign substance problem. Again, if you follow baseball, you've heard all about this. You've heard it ad nauseum. But for those uninitiated, if you're not paying attention to baseball, or you're just checking games here and there, whatever, if you're not aware of the story, basically, pitchers are using some form of a foreign substance, whether it's the spider tack, and we'll get to Garrett Cole's comments about that in a second, or whatever it happens to be, Spin rates are up. Pitchers are completely dominating. There's been an ass ton of no-hitters this year. And it's crazy. You know, there's the three truths or the three true outcomes of baseball. A strikeout, a home run, or a walk. And, you know, it's nuts to see some of these pitches. I was talking to this with a friend over the weekend of just why baseball games take so much longer. Pitchers are throwing it as hard as they possibly can, and just, they don't care where it goes. That's why there's so many walks. Strikeouts are happening because of the spin rate thing. And if they miss, guys want to hit it over the fence because chicks dig the long ball in short. But 
this foreign substance thing, clearly a lot of different pitchers are using it. Garrett Cole the other day was asked straight up about it, and he basically goes, I don't know, I, uh, I, I, I don't know how to, I don't know if I'm allowed to answer that. And, you know, goes on to this little completely awkward and, and full-on thing to try to talk about it. And, you know, guys called him out. Josh Donaldson called him out last week, and they actually are playing the Twins this week. And Josh Donaldson comes out when Cole was pitching on Wednesday night with a flak jacket during batting practice. And then he got struck out. And his first thing, Garrett Cole uh, stared him down. And, I don't know, Cole continued to say there are customs and practices that have been passed down from older players to younger players, from the generations of players to this generations of players. I think there are some things that are certainly out of bounds in that regard. I've stood pretty firm in terms of that, in terms of communication between our peers and whatnot, really dancing around the point. He had previously denied it and said there's, you know, there's reasons why my, my spin rate's up and I've learned how to do that over the years. I don't know who's creating these rumors. Because Trevor Bauer, and then Trevor Bauer last year, called him out and really tried to to troll the Astros more after the, the trash can scandal of saying stuff about spin rate and all this sort of stuff and saying that, you know, that there's foreign stuff going around. And he's trying to say that before. And, you know, maybe he's using it now, too, because he won the Cy Young. But regardless, Jeff Passan tweeted out, for those wondering how many players are using sticky stuff, which is the fact that if we're that's going to be the common term is sticky stuff. That's uh pretty hilarious. If the guy who got paid three hundred and twenty four million dollars is you, you can be pretty damn sure a majority of the rest of the pitchers are too. And I don't know, Jeff Passan, I gotta agree with that. You're one of the better voices in baseball. Not just because of that that I'm just agreeing blindly. It's it's pretty staggering. And I mentioned the no hitters. We're on pace to shatter the record great baseball term on pace. And I don't want to belittle Wade Miley, but he, he he was not a good pitcher. He hasn't been a good pitcher throughout his career, and he throws a no-hitter. I don't know. I don't know. Something fishy about that. Again, I'm not trying to belittle guys. I know blind squirrel finds a nut. Every dog has its day. All that sort of stuff. In theory, a guy that's been good enough to make major league rosters could, at any point in time, throw a no-hitter, but it's Wade fucking Miley. I don't know. Again, I'm not trying to belittle him, but I'm going to belittle some other guys too. Two guys right towards the top. In fact, they're two and three in ERA. Lance Lynn and Kevin Gosman. Lance Lynn, who had a pretty good career, start to his career in St. Louis. And then, basically, after the year they won the World Series, his rookie year, he... Never was a good postseason pitcher again. And I say never kind of tongue-in-cheek. But he's a really bad postseason pitcher. Uh, he was good in that World Series run in 2010 when he didn't even start a game. But he, you know, in St. Louis, his ERA went up and down. But in, in the postseason, it's bad. It's really bad of how of how he does. But a guy whose career ERA is 3.74, a whip of 1.27, opponent's batting average of 240, uh, this year, our good friend Lance Lynn, who went from the Texas Rangers to the Chicago White Sox, 
ERA of 123, a whip of .88, a opponent's batting average of 70 of 171, already a 72 strikeouts, which, granted, in 2019, he threw 246 strikeouts, which is insane. I mean, he had a really good 2019, so he's like he's a little bit of a, of a different case than the next guy we're going to go to, Kevin Gosman. But the guy, when when pitching a full year, I mean, you could even say maybe he was using it then to the fact that the previous time he pitched a full season because he's had health stuff, he's been in and out of rotations. But in 2017, he threw 153 strikeouts in 33 starts. He pitched. 20 less innings than he did in 2019 and 90 less strikeouts. Something's fishy there. Last year, he threw 89 strikeouts and 84 innings. He's a strikeout guy. He's up there, but he's never really been a, like his ERA is never been below three. And again, a career 347 postseason four four fifty, which it must be. I'd need to do more math on this because he has some, his starts with the Yankees are fucking horrendous. But we're not talking about the postseason. We're talking about this. Something fishy there. Kevin Gosman, the bigger sore thumb. This guy, for one, never really could stay healthy. Last year, again, you can make the case he had a pretty good year in St. or not St. Louis, in San Francisco, where he has now pitched the same number of games. He had 10 starts. He's now had 12 here. So he has way more innings pitched. And he has 14 more strikeouts at 93. The ERA last year was 3.62. Whip was 111. Batting average is 221. Let's talk about his career numbers, though. 404 ERA career, 129 whip, and 258 opponents batting average. This year, Kevin Gosman, for those trying to remember who he was, we'll get to it in a minute, but a longtime pitcher for the Baltimore Orioles, and then he was with the uh, Reds and the Braves for a little bit and uh, towards the end of the last decade, then has been with San Francisco now for two. This is his second season. In 2021, 127 ERA, a whip of .76, and an opponent's batting average of 1.56. I'm not trying to yell and sound like fucking uh, the other idiot, not Stephen A. Smith. Um... Max Kellerman, I felt like I was. So I wanted to disclaim that. I'm not trying to. Not trying to be the yelly guy. But this is nuts. This guy, 4.04 career ERA, which I think Yahoo includes this year into that. So that's like bringing the number down. The guy also never stayed healthy. The closest he did in a full season in terms of strikeouts was in 2017, he pitched Started in 34 games. He, in 2016, started in 30. In 2017, 34 starts, 186.2 innings, 179 strikeouts, a 4.68 ERA, 1.49 whip, and a 283 batting average. This guy's opponent's batting average looks like a fucking all-stars batting average in that season, in 2017. 2016... 30 starts, 179 innings, 174 strikeouts, so not even a strikeout per game in either of those seasons, actually. 3.61 ERA, 1.28, so around his career. That's like This is like an average season for him, and a 262 opponent's batting average. So like the fact that this guy 
all of a sudden, and like, and I don't want to belittle, again, these guys are way better than I ever was and ever hoped to be at baseball. And I don't want to belittle him. And I really, I'm very happily shocked for the San Francisco Giants. But this is absurd of what Gosman's doing. This is like staring out to me with fucking bright lights and red flags of how crazy this is. So what can baseball do? They've started cracking down on stuff. The Josh Donaldson comments came because minor leaguers got suspended for it. So they're trying to do something about it. Some people are saying it's too late and trying to figure out what, you know, what happened here, you know, between the connection of the lost, you know, the steroid era ending, deadening the balls. And is that the problem? Because now pitcher, now batters don't really have anything. Um, No, again, no hitters are up. Spin rate is way up. Strikeouts are all over the board. And it's not just... The Phillies, because these are American League guys. Uh, or no, they're National, oh, National League guys. Uh, Lance Lynn is an American League guy. But um, regardless, it doesn't matter, NLAL. I don't know why I said that. It's nuts. And let's get back to the latter stuff. I mentioned it. Happy surprises. I am really genuinely happy that the San Francisco Giants have hung on. They are still in the mix in terms of... The Major League Baseball standings, they are currently leading the NL West up a game and a half on the Los Angeles Dodgers. And a team who is really is doing well. They're scoring runs. They're not allowing a ton of them. Again, their pitching is very good, and there might be a reason for that. But if everybody is doing it, let's let's just wrap it up here with talking about the Giants. If everyone's doing it like this Jeff Passan tweet is suggesting then, you know, everybody's playing against it, and therefore, you know, it, it levels the playing field. I don't know. Let's figure that out. But with San Francisco, their runs against 222, only San Diego, who well-established, good pitching staff, um, is better than that in division. It looks like that is the third best in the National League. The Mets, number one at being the maybe even the only team in baseball to not allow 200 runs which at this point you're over 60 games in that's insane um wow jeez i'm like putting that together whoa uh (laughs) anyway we'll talk about the mets in a minute here in the nl east when we when we get to the phillies we can cover all that yeah the fact that the the giants are hanging in there now granted the dodgers were cold for a while They've since figured it out. They've clawed their way back in there. One of the best run differentials in baseball. Um, So they're doing really well. The Padres have been, you know, hot and cold. Their their team, I'm a little surprised, hasn't totally figured it out. Now, part of that is injuries. Notably, Fernando Tatis hurt a couple different times. Guys in and out of the lineup, Trent Grisham. uh, Eric Hosmer was hurt for a while. Oh, no, he had COVID. They They had a whole COVID scare. Um... I'm like, really, my brain is like catching up on what the hell has happened in the last month as I talked about on the podcast. And that's a sign that I should podcast to you guys more about baseball more often. The hockey playoffs have been crazy. My work schedule has been crazy. So I apologize about that. Also, I know the Instagram videos went dark basically way after I got married two months ago. So I apologize about that, too. Probably should have let off with the apology. Um, U.S. Open next week for golf. Maybe maybe they come back then. Who knows? I don't want to make any promises. But anyway... Back to the Padres. Yeah, well-established, good pitching staff, and a great bullpen. And they're getting the job done. They're, they're what's hanging them in there. Uh, Blake Snell 
needs to figure it out. I mean, that's probably like the the you know real tarnishing aspect of their rotation. Denelson Lament has been hurt. That's another part that you, know, you probably want to be better. Um, but yeah, their offense, you know, their team that you think of with these power hitters, Fernando Tatis tied for third in Major League Baseball, one off the lead in home runs, and then the next highest is Manny Machado, who has played 56 games of 64. Yeah, I'm doing that math right. 64. And, you know, he only has eight homers. So does Eric Hosmer, who, again, he had that whole COVID thing. Will Myers, guy who's been hurt and also had the COVID thing in that similar spot. So they have guys like peppering it in there. But... And that's a big but. They're 21st in Major League Baseball on home runs with 63 total. Um, and surprisingly, they're in the middle of the road of home runs allowed, but the best ERA for defensive stuff. Um, but surprisingly, they don't have a very good batting average as a team, 20th in Major League Baseball. But they get the job done. They score runs. They figure out how to manufacture it, which is good. We talked about this at the beginning of the season, the fact that they, and last year too, they draw a ton of walks, which is awesome. And they're a team that they build on that. They build around those fundamentals. So they do figure it out despite not having batting average numbers that jump off the plate. I don't don't want to like, you know, I guess because Manny Machado's batting 233, you can say that. Will Myers batting 240. But like Hosmer, 262. Cronenworth, 272, Tatis 277, Grisham is over 300, again, hurt, but, you know, that's good. <laughs> but, you know, looking elsewhere in baseball of, of good and bad shocks, the Brewers hanging in there where they are, especially with a run differential of one, plus one, I should say. Um, yeah, their pitching staff, again, maybe there's something to do with that, but their pitching staff is, is held it together and, and, the division low in terms of runs against, but also the division... Oh, no, the Pirates have scored less runs. I was about to say the division low in runs score, but the Pirates, very bad. That's not a shock. Same with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Uh, The Brewers, though, you know, good for them that they figured it out. Obviously, they've had a lot of problems with various injuries. They have guys that have stepped it up and really figured it out. And this is a team, you know, kind of similar to the Padres that they draw a lot of walks and they figure it out. So that, you know, the old Moneyball meme of they get on base, you know, you're doing that. You're doing a good job with it. And you have guys who are figuring it out. Now, injuries are a big part of this. And, you know, Yelich is hurt. Lorenzo Cain is hurt. Um, but they're figuring it out. So good for them. Good for the Brewers. Cubs are in first place, or I guess they're tied with the Brewers, um, which is awesome. That's awesome to see that, in a year that people kind of wrote them off because they lost so many different people to free agency and all of that, um, the fact that they've really caught fire. They swept the Padres at Wrigley last week. Then they go get swept or almost swept by the Giants out in out in San Francisco. And then they took two, two out of three from the Padres. I'd say, although that's under 500, three and four, pretty good West Coast swing. The St. Louis Cardinals being where they're at, they're two games above 500. Pitching staff has really gone to shit. This is something that I feel like a lot of people were kind of expecting to happen a few years ago, and guys just really turned it on. But their pitching staff has been bad, and I mean bad. It's yeah, it's it's not very good, and their bullpen, you know, it's it's hanging in there, I guess. But um, yeah, it's just it's 
weird to see that the Padre or the the Cardinals who pick up Nolan Arenado, everybody thought that was like, oh, it's the the Cardinals to lose. They're going to run away with this thing. And Arenado's doing his part. He's batting 282, 11 homers, 40 RBI in you know two plus months. I mean, that's pretty awesome. That's definitely on pace for 100. That's what you want out of a guy, especially a guy you're paying that much money. But you know, Paul Goldschmidt, what's he doing? He's batting 250. His eight home runs. You, know, you picked him up a couple years ago, and he's always been kind of, he's floated around in his time there. Tommy Edmond, a guy who almost got taken out last week, but um, by Manny Machado, Greg's favorite. But um, yeah, he he's had a pretty stellar year, but again, it's just, they're not completely like putting it all together, I guess. And it, it's weird to see, but let's keep moving. Um, before we get to the NL East, we'll just run through the American League. The, the Boston Red Sox, speaking of Greg, still on fire. They're having a really good year. Uh, they're ahead of the Yankees right now. They're 37-25. and 25. They're a game and a half behind Tampa Bay, who I feel like we all, you know, nobody wanted Tampa Bay to, to stay good. I feel like they outstayed their welcome. It was the Harvey Dent, you either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain kind of thing. But Tampa Bay is really fucking good, and they're going to be really fun to watch. And it's just classic fucking Rays baseball. They... I mean, talk about they get on base. They're third in Major League Baseball in runs scored. And they are close to the bottom. They are in the bottom sixth in batting average. This team, again, talk about gets on base, walks a lot. And they figure it out. And they spread out the love. Really, outside of Austin Meadows and and Randy Rosarena, who I think technically is still a rookie, uh, which is funny. I think if it's like how hockey does it where the playoffs don't count. It's really funny that if that's, if that's indeed the case, um, but they're, they're figuring it out. They got guys all over the board that are, you know, anywhere in their lineup, I should say that are driving in runs that are scoring runs and it's raised baseball, but the Boston Red Sox, a team that I feel like everybody thought we're just going to be a team to kind of just, hang in there, see what they do, see how they hang out in this division with the really good Yankees, a race team that's going to be really tricky, you know, as upstart Toronto going to be really good. Nobody thought the O's were going to be good, and they suck, so there's your Baltimore update. But the Red Sox are doing some really great shit here where they have a very good bullpen. Adovino has been solid for them with 12 holds. Then they have these other guys, Taylor, Hernandez, um, Sawamora, I think I pronounced that right, uh, that are just great middle relief guys. I mean, they have a, they have five players, six, five players with more than five holds. That's pretty awesome. Now, granted, they have some blown saves. Who doesn't in baseball these days, especially with the fucking shitty-ass runner on second rule? We'll talk about extra innings when we get to the Phillies. Uh, but their starting staff, despite having kind of whacked out ERAs all around close to four, except for Eduardo Rodriguez, who's close to fucking six, uh, they're getting it done. And part of that's because their offense is just buzzing. We talked, we have talked about J.D. Martinez and what he's been able to do. Bogarts has been great as well. Devers has been on fire recently. Verdugo has, is turning it on, it seems, and... I don't know, this team, if they're all getting it going, Christian Vasquez behind the plate has been really good. If they keep it moving, they may not go away. This is one of those scenarios, and it happens in baseball all the time, with a team 
that no, like comes out of nowhere in the first half. They're hanging in there at the All Star break, and everybody's, and then they fall apart. You know, maybe they trade a guy or whatever, and it just all nothing, nothing gets going, or they try to to maintain it. Maybe they take it all the way towards September first, and they try to make some moves, but they're not like blockbuster trades. And then they blow the division lead, and then they sign a superstar in the off season, and that year stinks because the bullpen's terrible. Oh, I'm talking about the Phillies. I'm sorry. We'll get to the Phillies in a minute. <laughs> but let's keep moving. The Central, the White Sox, four games up on the Indians. You figure this was going to happen when Cleveland was hanging in there that the, the White Sox were just waiting to turn it on, and they have. And I think the biggest knock you could put on the Chicago White Sox is that they're not very good on the road, but they are, because they're 500, but they are really fucking good. They're all just killing the ball. Nick Madrigal, Tim Anderson batting over 300, Luis Robert, whenever he comes back, hopefully stays over 300. Um, but... You have Moncada, you have Mercedes, they're right around 300, and these guys just mash, 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 mash the ball. And the crazy thing enough is that it's not home runs, they just get on base. They hit hard line drives, whether that results in doubles, in the case of some players, triples, it doesn't matter. That's probably the biggest knock that you could put on them, aside from their road record, is that they don't hit enough home runs, but they're doing the opposite of it. They have awesome pitching. They score runs at will. And I'm not even kidding. At will, this team just goes, 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 goes. And they're figuring it out. And it's awesome to see that, I mean, the Central is, this could be over pretty quickly. The Royals fell apart, figured that was going to happen. That's that example that I mentioned about teams at the All-Star break. There's usually one at the, at the end of April that's like they had a, let's just say they play 30 games. They had like a 27, or not 27 and 3. They had like a 23 and 7 month, or that's a little extreme. But you get the idea, 20 and 10 month or something like that. And they're way out there. And everybody's like, nobody saw the Royals coming. And then they fall apart. They're under 500. Yeah. The Tigers, not in last place. That is a shocker. Uh, Minnesota... I think this is what we all thought was going to happen. Their pitching is abysmal, and their offense, while good, second in the division and runs scored, um, just isn't figuring it out. But White Sox, awesome to see. AL West, Rangers, not a shock. Angels, it's nuts what this team does. They have Shohei Otani, who's awesome to watch, a front runner for the MVP because of his two-way playing, throws absolute gas, hits bombs and you know Mike Trout's hurt but they really aren't they just aren't doing anything the rest of their pitching is horrendous it is horrendous I don't know why I use that voice but they're just they're they're not good it's it's like sad to see this happen because of how good guys like Trout like Otani are and they're out there throwing out the shell of Jose Quintana. They're throwing out fucking Alex Cobb and Dylan Bundy and all these different guys who aren't even close to sniffing an ERA in the range of three. And Otani has a 2.76 ERA. Just crazy, crazy talk to me that these guys can't figure it out. 
Um, I guess like everybody in the American League, they all have a lot of strikeouts. So that's good. Again, that could be foreign substances, but whatever. Um, Astros right there. The A's. The A's are in first place. And that's awesome. It is really cool to fucking see. This is a team that's very home run dependent. Uh, not a very good batting average team. Middle of the road and runs. Eighth in Major League Baseball in home runs. Because they have dudes that kill the ball. And they're a team that, that will live and die by the home run. They're 11 games above 500 right now. They're in a position to be a wild card team if they weren't. If they were in second place, would the Astros be? Yes, they would be. The Astros would currently be wild card number two. So they could be in the position that they find themselves hanging in there, potentially, once again, for a wild card spot. Or even the division. You know, the Astros, they're starting to figure it out and, and be really good. And I think people are a little upset about that. But, um, yeah, it's, you know, we'll see. I, I would like Oakland to do well. But let's, let's wrap up with some more fun stuff. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw the Cabrian Hayes home run that wasn't. Basically, he hit a home run. Turned out he didn't touch first base, so he got called out. Um, you want to say it's just classic Pirates. They obviously had the play with Javi Baez um, getting the first baseman to try to tag him, the dumbest play of all time. You want to say it's classic Pirates, but that's just unfortunate. Cabrian Hayes, really fun guy to watch play baseball. And... Uh, yeah, just a, a really unfortunate moment. But young guys that are doing great things. The Philadelphia Phillies. And we'll just mix in the rest of the NL East talk with this. Philadelphia Phillies won two games in a row. This is a team. Lovable bunch of idiots. That's what they are. They are all over the board. They really either love scoring base uh, the base runners or they score nothing. It's one or the other. This t- they are 19th in Major League Baseball and runs scored. They're 13th in batting average, which went down. They were actually doing... They were doing well, then they're doing really shitty, and, and now they're doing okay. But the two games they won against the Braves, they won 2-1 last night, the first career home run for Luke Williams who I keep wanting to call Lou Williams because the basketball player. First home run for Luke Williams. It was awesome to see. His parents were in the crowd. They're all wearing Williams jerseys. Then today, they have a one-run lead. A uh, piece of shit, Odubel Herrera got a double that went off the fence that he thought was a home run, so he was trying to admire it. Then he was just standing on second base as the Braves were bobbling around. But Gene Segura brings him in anyway. They're up one nothing. Hector Neres blows another fucking lead. It's 1-1, they go to extra innings, and this catcher comes in, this guy whose name is Marshan, not Brad Marshan, the hockey player, but similar name, and this guy, Raphael Marshan, can't figure it out in this game, and he's been a solid enough defender for the Phillies, but today was not one of those days. He had, there was wild pitches all over the place from Jose Alvarado. He ends up having a passed ball. The Braves score two runs, and it looks like the Phillies are going to lose this game that Zach Wheeler was fucking dealing in. Zach Wheeler, right now probably Phillies MVP. He already has 100 strikeouts in 12 starts. 
it's awesome to see whether he's guilty of any sort of foreign substance stuff. I don't think so because he's been good for the last couple of years. But maybe that's why he turned it on. He's a young guy, though. You know, I think he's genuinely a good pitcher. He's genuinely a good pitcher anyway. But getting back to the game, Phillies obviously starting with a runner on second base. Part of that is how the Braves scored two runs because the one guy was already on second, so the wild pitch moved into third. He scored, or actually the second run scored in the pass ball. But um, the first one scored on a wild pitch. Two wild pitches moved him from second to third. Braves didn't have a hit. They scored two runs. Partially because of the stupid fucking runner on second base to start the inning. Seven straight balls thrown by Alvarado. The bullpen is fucking atrocious. But anyway, Phillies have a runner starting on first base. And they end up grinding out to have runners on second and third because of the different ways that the, you know, there was outs, there were runners being moved and all this sort of stuff. Gene Segura looks like he hits a walk-off bomb, but he hits it off the top of the fence. Rubel Herrera on second base almost screws it up because of the, of the fact that he wasn't sure if the ball was going to get caught or not. So he's still at second base when the ball actually hits the fence and he sees it. But he scores. The Phillies win. They're going nuts. And somehow this team figures it out. And this is the kind of wins that this team does. Obviously, they had the one win over the Braves earlier this year. Alec Boehm didn't touch home plate. They have 30 wins. They're game under 500. they They're way under their run differential, which is kind of hilarious that this that's how this team is doing it they're either getting blown out or grinding out victories reese hoskins is leading the team in rbis partially because bryce harper was hurt um but but it's crazy to see that reese is reese is kind of back brad miller has been awesome jt real muto was hurt for a little bit and he's back bryce harper's back i just mentioned that but it's it's fun this team despite how much they want me to pull my hair out is fun to watch and the nationals aren't figuring it out and and maybe they will this is the same fucking thing that happened in 2019 when they won the world series the braves are dangerous the braves now two games under 500 after losing the last two games to the phillies and now fall a half game beyond the phillies who are three and a half games behind the mets because the mets had so many games that were rained out earlier this season um, tied in the win column, but seven more losses from the Phillies because they played seven more games. Um, it's nuts to think that they're in any sort of position that they are in terms of being in second place. I think because of how good some of these other teams are, particularly in the National League West, like we let off the show, um, it would take winning the division for them to have any sort of playoff hopes and Will that happen? I don't think so right now. They need to make some sort of really big blockbuster move, not just some sort of roster tweaking like Matt Clintac did. You need to make some some serious movement if you're the Phillies. But they're fun. I don't know what to tell you. They, uh, they're fun. They're frustrating. They're a bunch of crazy idiots. And I love them. But let's keep it moving. Minor League Baseball... Emily and I went to Asheville, North Carolina, which we've never been there before. is an awesome city. Tons of breweries everywhere. A lot of great views. It's in the Smoky Mountains. So we went hiking. We got to see great heights. We went to the Biltmore Estate, which is the Vanderbilts, for those who don't know that. We went to an Asheville tourist game. 
And you might have seen this make its rounds at the beginning of the year, at the beginning of the minor league year, which is the start of May, of the Beer Bats. Got one of those. Did not disappoint. It was so much fun to have that novelty. The other cool thing, though, that I really loved, and I feel like I'm like a crazy person for loving this, I put it on my, I don't know if I put it on the Thunderblog Instagram too, but I definitely put it on my own. They have aluminum cups that they serve beer out of instead of plastic. It's aluminum. And I think that's awesome. I took both of them with me because you had, obviously you can't refill them because they, you know, for COVID reasons, for sanitary reasons, all that sort of stuff. I took them both home. They're awesome. Pour some water in there. The water stays cold for longer. Use it for the kegerator. The beer stays colder longer. It's incredible. Now, the stadium itself was really cool. It was really short because it's kind of built into the mountain. So the right field fence is like, it's only like 270 something to like right center field. And they have the second highest fence in all of baseball. The only the green monster is taller. If you count, I believe, if you count the scoreboard on top of it, then it is taller than the green monster, which is pretty cool. It's like cool to see that sort of novelty. And then left field is a little bit longer. It's almost like, you know, if you go like in high school, you play on a soccer field where like it's long because of the soccer, you know, one one end is a lot longer than the other because the soccer field keeps going out. Um, so like maybe like the soccer field is in left field. So the, like the left field fence and center field are like, way out there it was almost the reverse of that um like think of that but small that kind of thing um the field at salisbury school is popping into my head if anybody knows that greg might from playing lacrosse but uh if anybody else knows that that's what's popping into my head school in connecticut that we played in high school um but regardless real in joke there great radio but um because it's built into the mountain there were mountain goats going around everywhere, which is just incredible. Emily had a kick seeing them. Um, and again, because it was built out of the mountain, half of the concourse, which like most minor league stadiums, they only have it in the infield, basically between, you know, you know, in foul territory. And it ends basically at third base. And, or that's where, like, where the ending is. And it starts over in the right field area by, by first base and all that sort of stuff. But it ends at third base, and that whole side of it, basically from home plate and over, the back area isn't a fence or a wall or anything like that. It's the mountain itself. That was what's keeping people, you know, that's that's what they're using as the barrier, which I thought was so cool how they used nature there. It was definitely one of the more nature-first stadiums I've ever been to because of how woodsy it was it's almost like something you'd see in backyard baseball but obviously kept up very well because it's a professional field but uh it was it was very cool i'm trying to describe it better um hilariously the tourists are an astros farm team and the team we saw them play were a rays farm team the tourists colors are more like the tampa bay rays and with that light blue and they also had like a teal in there but the team they were playing i think they were the the Bowling Green Hot Rods, I think was their name. Um, Bowling Green, if you if you know the college football team, their colors are yeah, that orange. So they also had this orange. They were more like the Astros colors, though, were the Hot Rods. So I thought that was interesting. But that's going to do it for baseball. I mentioned college football. Let's talk about this. There is a rumor that now is official, or there was a rumor, that now today, recording this on Thursday, has become official that the – college football playoff officially 
has recommended and proposed a 12-team playoff. It was first reported on Monday by Pete Thamel of Yahoo Sports, and today they have officially proposed it. It would show the sixth highest-ranked conference champions and six at-large teams. Interestingly enough, they're saying highest-ranked conference champions and not anything about like the Power Five and then a group of five, which is the other five of the ten FBS conferences. Uh, it would probably be that by default. It doesn't say anything about if they would be the one through six, which I like. I like that a lot. The top four... Oh, no, this is... Actually, this is what it says. The top four conference champions would receive a first-round bye, which I do like that, where five through eight would host the first round of their home stadiums. The final three rounds would be bowl games at neutral sites, which I've said for a long time that that's... If they were going to do a longer version of the college football playoff, that's how they could do it through bowl season. It's just make each round a bowl and then make the semifinals... And the finals, the big bowls, which is what they ended up doing anyway with the college football playoff. I'm saying that since fucking high school. Um, but regardless, you know, pat on my back, I guess. But anyway, they're basically saying that this would, you know, this would do a great job of giving teams that get snubbed get in. The potential for an upset, which is, you know, everybody loves upsets in the NCAA tournament for basketball and in college football, too. Um, we need to figure out when the games are played. They haven't said anything about that, of when this could be implemented. Um, the crazy thing to think about here is that if a team were to go from like the fifth seed, you know, a team that play has to play the extra round, they could potentially play 17 games in their full season. Now, granted, currently you're playing 15 games if you're, win you're playing the national championship game, but 17 is wild to think about. You have to remember, like, because they're students, they do need time to take finals and all that stuff at the start of December. So they probably couldn't. Like, in theory, only Army and Navy play the weekend the Heisman's handed out. So you'd have that week off, maybe another week off for finals. Then you play the first round maybe, like, a week or two before, like, maybe, like, right before Christmas. Like you give them, like, 10 days, maybe play it around, like, the 19th. Give them 10 days. The idea would be that the quarterfinal happens on New Year's Day, which the Rose Bowl gets thrown in there, and that's what's all funky about that is the Rose Bowl I don't think would be cool with being demoted to a quarterfinal game and all, you know, because of all the grandeur around there and Big Ten, Pac-10, Pac-12 connections with all that sort of stuff. But this is fascinating to hear about because this is something that people have been asking for for a while. Matt and I talk about this. Every November and December when the, the poll comes out. But November when they're doing it, of uh, who's going to be left out and all that sort of stuff. Will six solve it? How do you do six? And the fact that you're saying that, A, the conference championships matter. You're, you're giving the, the four, the top four a bye. But then being a little tricky with the, the fifth and sixth conference champions. You're not guaranteeing them a first round home game. Although they, they more likely than not would be, um, I don't know, but who knows? Like if Marshall is the, is the sixth team, you know, cause they always do really well in the Mac. Um, I, don't, I actually don't know if they won it last year. I just remember them being undefeated and being talked about as potential group of five crasher or like Boise state and all their runs. But like if a team kind of out of nowhere wins it, who knows? You know, presumably it'd be like an AAC champion, 
uh, American Athletic Conference would probably be the sixth because they're always hanging out there. So they'd be like, and they're usually in, in that team. If it's not UCF, it's like usually like in like the low teens, maybe around eleven or twelve. They usually like to to you know delegate them there. Um, it'd be really interesting to see how that goes. Yeah, they, but maybe they don't. You know, if it's if it's just a steaming pile of dog shit, maybe they don't get it. Uh, but we'll have to see what happens here. It it'll be really interesting if they say anything about conference caps, which I wouldn't like. But again, I love the concept that winning your championship is important because then even with like saying the SEC championship doesn't matter because Alabama and Georgia will both get in. Um, you know, that might be true now, but the winner does get, doesn't have to play that extra game and they don't have to put the risk out there of potentially getting upset. So I think that's pretty awesome. It'll be pretty cool to see how that goes. Um, let's wrap this thing up though. Get to, uh, you know, some TV stuff. The first thing, Tiger Woods apparently declined showing up on NBC for the U S open. Um, if anybody's shocked by this, I don't know what world you're living in. He's been hurt. He doesn't really want to be a sideshow, and that's what he said, or Dan Hicks theorized about it, but, like, it, Tiger being there, it'd be cool to hear hear him talk about it and have him actually, like, open up about analysis of golf, but I feel like he also, like, he wants to be competitive or not. Like, forget what you think or what might be the truth of if he's going to be competitive, but, like, he wants to try, and I don't think he wants to put his brain out there so much that he, like, people then can dissect, like, what his thought process is. Because, you know, every golf fan in the world wants to hear his thoughts and opinions on, on what's going on. But, yeah, I feel like he wants to give it a couple more goes before he really, he comes to terms with any sort of not being all the way back with, you know, how drastically horrible that car accident was. I'm, I'm starting to think about it again and it's making me upset. So I'm going to move on now. There's no hockey talk here. I'm saving that for the next time Greg Mark and I do a show. The Bruins lost. We were all wrong about that. The Jets got swept. We were definitely wrong about that. I thought the Canadians were DOA in that series. Obviously the Shifley hit happened and all that. Uh, the Golden Knights are up three, two. They played a night. Um, they actually played pretty soon, but, um, We'll have to see how that goes. And the the Lightning are through. I blanked on who the last team was. And they... Actually, they were the second team. The, hilariously, the last series to start was the first one to be over. That being Montreal. And then Tampa Bay through beating Carolina. And kind of a dud of a series. Kind of a bummer about that. But we'll, we'll break it all down the next hockey show we do. Um, but wrapping up with more TV. Loki, the new MCU show, just came out. Pretty awesome so far. The first episode um, really built the world that's going to happen. For those that don't know and you want to check it out, you you do need to see probably, from my understanding of what the rest of the show is going to be like, you do need to see MCU movies. Um, but you can kind of pick up on what, at least how he got there. And they kind of run through stuff. Like they showed scenes. I don't want to like spoil too much. If you're if you haven't watched yet, but like they show scenes from Thor Ragnarok, they show scenes from Thor: The Dark World, even though it's Loki from the Avengers, so it's like that version of Loki gets away in Avengers Endgame, and it's that guy, so like he hasn't experienced it, but they 
watch the show and they explain it. So like the rumor is that they're going to potentially be like showing the other MCU movies, almost like a Lion King one and a half or um, was it Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. The Hamlet from those guys view. Um, I think that's what it's called. I don't know. I'm not a, not an intellect guy. Um, more of a math guy, not a, not a play guy, but I am a TV guy. But I do enjoy it so far. Tom Hiddleston's great. Owen Wilson, really good in it as Agent Mobius. Um, apparently his name is Mobius Mobius, which is hilarious. Always love the double name. Uh, and a really good cast, too. Um, I don't want to screw up pronunciations of... I, I'm not even going to try. I, was, I don't want to disrespect anybody with mispronunciations. But it, it's a great cast. And everybody who's in there, the judge... Uh, again, I don't want to mispronounce her name. So I'm not going to try, but she's awesome. Uh, and Agent 15, she is also awesome and kind of a badass. She she gives Loki a run for his money. Really good show so far. The last one I want to talk about, Dave Season 2 coming out, dropped an official trailer. If you have never seen Dave on FX, go watch it. It is one of the funniest shows out there. It's a little dicky and kind of a, a fictionalized version of his life. We watched it live last year, like right at, actually I think it, I think it finished airing right before, right before COVID struck, but it is so funny and it's really well done. And there's some really good touching episodes, some about bipolar disorder, some about, you know, the pressures of fame and, and how people change and all that sort of stuff. And it's a really good show. If you haven't checked it out, it's really funny. Um, Will Dickey, really funny rapper. If you've never seen any of his videos, which you probably have you probably saw freaky Friday with Chris Brown or, the Earth Day video that he did that had a lot of different celebrities, including Joel Embiid. I would try to talk about the Sixers, but I would need my wife here to do that. So I'm not going to, if you're wondering why I have not brought up basketball, but the games have been awesome. So that's all I need to say about that. And that'll do it for this episode of the podcast. I appreciate you all tuning in. Let me know what you think in the comments. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get them. Search the bullpen cart, subscribe on Twitter, Thunder BLG is the handle there. Thunderblock Sports on Instagram. Join our Facebook group. I haven't posted in there in a while to grab questions. Maybe we'll start doing it as we start doing more baseball episodes. But have a great weekend, everybody. Enjoy the baseball. I'm going to the Phillies-Yankees on Saturday. And let's go, Phils, baby.